Give us life according to your word. When we were told of your ways, you answered us. And we cried, teach us your statutes. Make us to understand the way of your precepts. And we will meditate on your wondrous works. We confess our soul melts away for sorrow. So strengthen us according to your word. We ask through Christ, our great high priest, who intercedes for us now, who is present with us now, who preaches even now. Through him we pray. Amen. If you take a careful look, many Christians today are turning to so many things for their encouragement and maturity. Many are turning to small groups, social events, and conferences over corporate worship, turning to solo studies of doctrine over the corporate preaching of the word, turning to churches that meet their personal needs rather than the church that proclaims their greatest need in Jesus Christ. And these same Christians find themselves stuck, discouraged, confused. Well, here in this letter, the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian believers with great concern for their souls. They are being confronted by false teachers, and and these teachers were subtle. These teachers didn't say that they didn't need Christ, but that they need Christ plus greater knowledge and wisdom. Not only did these false teachers present a different Christ than what Paul provides in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, but along with this, these false teachers presented a Christian life that needed more than Christ to grow in Christ. If the Colossian believers were to go on to maturity, experience spiritual victory over sin, if they were going to be conformed more into the image of Christ and live more like Christ, the teachers were saying they needed something more than Christ. So Paul, concerned for their souls, wrote to remind them of the supremacy of Christ for the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life. Remember, God is the principal subject and end of theology. Theology is about God and all things in relation to God so as to live for God through Christ by the Spirit. This is attested to throughout all of Scripture. And what Paul does here in this general epistle is direct their attention to what God says about Christ so that the Colossian believers in mind, in will, would be turned away from themselves, turned away from these false teachers, and moved to behold the glory of Christ in faith and to love the God who is. In the immediate context, if you notice verse 24, chapter 1, he's reminded them of the minister of the church. And then in verses 26 and 27, the mystery for the church And now he reminds them of the ministry or the proclamation for the church in verses 28 and 29. And if you take this section, verses 24 to 29, into consideration in light of the greater context, what he's doing is applying his doctrinal declaration in verses 15 through 20. And concerning Christ's creation and redemption, he's saying to them, the one who is supreme in creation, the one who is supreme in redemption is the great minister of the church. He is the mystery for the church, and he is the ministry 
a proclamation for the church. In our text, which is on our sign and on our bulletin Sunday after Sunday, we are reminded of preaching. And listen carefully. We are reminded of preaching here because the same way faith comes is the same way faith grows. The same way your faith came is the same way you will remain faithful. And that's by the word of Christ. Preaching reminds us what the Christian life is. It is believing and it is resting on the word of Christ alone. And so we are confronted with this question this afternoon. What has God provided you so that you would be encouraged until you're perfected on that final day? The main point of this sermon is be encouraged by the word of Christ. Be encouraged by this proclamation. Look at verse 28. Here Paul lays before the church the heart of his proclamation. In a sense, this is at the heart of every pastor's proclamation of any man gifted and recognized by the church. I want you to note the focus of this proclamation. Be encouraged by the focus of it. Paul writes here with emphasis, him we proclaim. By him, Paul means our Lord Jesus Christ, the one by whom and for whom all things were created, the one who rules and gives life to the church as head of the church, and the one who will reconcile all things to himself, the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found, which no other teaching can match the one who was circumcised, cut off for our sake, crucified, dead, and buried, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, the one who rose from the dead and crushed the head of Satan, who disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, the great minister of the church, the great mystery for the church, the great proclamation of the church. This one, this Christ was the focus of Paul's proclamation. Charles Spurgeon declared, I would propose that the subject of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, and so long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to avow myself a Calvinist. I do not hesitate to take the name of Baptist, but if I am asked to say, what is my creed? I think I must reply, it is Jesus Christ. The body of divinity I would wish to pin and bind myself forever. God helping me is Jesus Christ, who is the sum and substance of the gospel, who is himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth, the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Christ was not merely a subject Paul sought to explain. Christ was the focus of every message he sought to deliver. Spurgeon comments, that is, he says, Christ is not so much what we preach as whom we preach. This means that all roads in Scripture lead to our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew this. The apostles knew this, and this is who they preached. But Paul never intended for Christ to only be proclaimed by him. Notice, Paul does not write here, him, I proclaim. He writes, we proclaim. That is, by the word we, Paul means to include 
every minister, every man gifted and recognized by the church to herald the sacred scriptures. You see, Paul is here encouraging the church to pay closer attention to the proclamation of their pastor, Epaphras. He has already referred to him earlier in Colossians 1 verse 12 as a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Paul wants the church to remember that Christ was the focus of their pastor's proclamation. Epaphras was not holding out on the church. He was not giving them some greater knowledge. Christ is supreme and sufficient, and this is who their pastor proclaimed. And the focus of his proclamation was enough, was sufficient for the church. The word proclaim, note, is significant. It means a solemn or public declaration that's carried out with authority. The idea here is of a herald sent by a king. A herald was one who speaks on behalf of the king to the townspeople. The herald was not supposed to present some of the king's words. He was not expected to deliver the message with a hesitancy. The herald was to receive the message from the king and given the charge to announce it clearly. Look at Colossians 4, verse 4. He says there that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You see, the herald's speech is a clear speech. The herald's speech was to be clear, but the herald would need to know the message from the king and was also sent to deliver it boldly. Look at Ephesians 6, 19. Ephesians 6, verse 19. He's asking for the church to pray he says, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So the herald's speech is both clear speech and bold speech. You see, Paul was the herald. Epaphras was the herald, and they were sent by God who is the king. And the message they had been given to proclaim focused upon the king's son. The focus was Jesus Christ. What we learn here is that Christ is not a suggested subject for the church or just a helpful theme in the church or even a cool tagline in the church. Christ is the proclamation to be heralded in the church. What we see in these few words is that Christ is the focus of the proclamation. He is the focus of every faithful minister and he is to be heralded He is to be heralded with authority in his church. Paul writes, him we proclaim. So be encouraged. Be encouraged by the focus of this proclamation. But Paul goes on to describe the form of this proclamation. Paul describes how Christ is proclaimed. He says, warning everyone and teaching everyone everyone with all wisdom. Paul describes the form both in the negative and the positive. Negatively, Paul says, warning everyone. I think he states warning before teaching because he's expressing what he is doing in this very letter. Think about the letter. He writes to the church warning them of false teachers, teachers that believed and taught that Christ was not enough. If you really wanted to be an elite Christian, they said, You needed more knowledge. But what is Paul saying here? Him I proclaim. 
Christ is the focus of this proclamation. But how does he proclaim Christ? He has to warn them. The word warning means to put into the mind. It takes that authority of the word and brings it to bear upon the whole man through the mind. The positive side of this warning would be to encourage, to persuade, or to awaken to a correct course of action. The negative side of warning would be to give a sober or somber warning of consequence. So warning involves the preacher confronting the listener. Don't trust yourself. What makes you think you can save yourself? How much longer will you continue in your sin? If you do not hold fast to Christ, you will die in your sin. But it also urges the hearer positively. The preacher says, look to Christ. Come to him. You trust in Christ and all your sins are forgiven. You trust in Christ and all of his perfect righteousness is reckoned to your account. You trust in Christ alone and your soul rests satisfied. So there's both the negative confrontation and the positive exhortation. The same word for warning shows up in 2 Thessalonians 3.15. And Paul writes there of the one who does not obey the instruction of his letter. He tells the church there, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him how, he says there, as a brother. This is how Christ is to be proclaimed negatively. False teaching is pointed out, and believers are warned, but even those who are being enticed by false teachers need to be warned as a brother. There's a time for sharp rebuke, and we see that in Titus 1.13. But here Paul speaks to the church with tenderness, with, with gentleness, with love, with encouragement. You can observe Paul's warning throughout this letter. He even does so with questions in chapter 2. But why do you think Paul warns them this way? Paul wanted them to be faithful to Christ. You see, even the gentle admonishments of your minister have to do with Christ, with your relationship to Jesus Christ. When the text presents a rebuke, it's because your pastor wants you to remain faithful to Christ. And no one is exempt from this. Notice Paul says, everyone. Three times in verse 28, he warned everyone, but his warnings are not given to a select group of Christians in the church. He warns everyone in the church. So we see that Paul and every faithful minister proclaims Christ how? Warning everyone. Of what? False teaching. And why? Because every Christian needs to continue to be faithful to Christ our Lord. To believe and to live according to the faith. Paul goes on to describe how he proclaims Christ, not just negatively, but positively. Notice he says, and teaching everyone. Note the word and, which is to say it's not enough to warn the faithful ministry involves teaching, instruction. This word means to provide instruction, an orderly and organized presentation of Christian truth. It implies learning on the part of those hearing. If Christ was to be faithfully proclaimed and the saints were to remain faithful unto the very end, then Paul knew the saints needed to learn and everyone in the church needed to learn. This included grasping sound doctrine. This involved understanding the faith. 
See, you cannot have the biblical Jesus without biblical doctrine. You cannot live out the Christian life without a foundation. And this is why Paul writes later in chapter 2, Therefore, verses 6 and 7, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and notice, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. You see, growing involved learning, and learning required teaching. But why did Paul teach them this way? Because he wanted them to remain faithful to Christ. And this involved the whole man, the mind, the heart, the will. And this is why Paul finally wrote in verse 28, with all wisdom, warning them and teaching them with all wisdom. This means with all the right application of knowledge or teaching. It refers to doctrine put into practice. It's not enough to know the believer must do. This is what Paul prayed for in chapter 1, verse 9, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in Christ and with the wisdom to live through Christ. And this requires both doctrine and duty, right belief and righteous behavior, understanding and proper action, and it all issues in love for Christ's church. And it is because of hope in Christ alone. Notice in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Why? Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So what we also observe here is that Paul his proclamation not only involved explanation or exposition, but also exhortation. Not only did he give the sense of the scriptures as they related to Christ, he gave the purpose of the scriptures as they related to Christ. That is, when Paul proclaimed Christ, he did not just address the mind. He addressed their hearts. He summoned their wills. He did not want the church to only be hearers of Christ, he wanted the church to be doers of the word of Christ. And that was all looking upon the glory of his person and his work. Are you encouraged by this proclamation? Are you paying close attention to this ministry of the word? Christ has commissioned his ministers for your encouragement. This means that when they teach you, you are to heed their teaching because it concerns your relationship to Christ. When they warn you, you are to receive their warnings because it concerns your relationship to Jesus Christ. All the teaching, all the doctrine, all the warnings and admonishments are all given so that you would be found faithful to Jesus Christ. I challenge you to consider your attitude as if you have sat under your pastor's ministry. Are you merely hearing are you responding to the warnings that are given? Are you taking to heart what you are learning? Or are you fed up with all the doctrine? Maybe you have become so full of knowledge you have not put that doctrine into practice just yet. If you think back over the past several months, have you put that warning and that teaching into practice? Are you practicing what you're learning 
My brothers and sisters, the form of this proclamation, the form of it is for your faithfulness to Christ. It's for faithfulness to the one that you are in union with. So be encouraged. Take courage by this word of Christ, by the form of this proclamation. Look with me now at the last half of verse 28. He says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul continues to encourage the Colossians with the word of Christ, and here he goes on from speaking of the focus and the form of it to the purpose of it. Why is proclaiming Christ the focus and warning and teaching with all wisdom the form? It's so that the church would be presented mature in Christ. Again, Paul emphasizes not just his ministry, but every faithful minister of Christ. He writes that we. These words indicate the purpose of this proclamation was every faithful minister's duty. Now, the same word present has already been used by Paul earlier in chapter 1, verse 22, if you look there. Paul told them that what they will be since Christ reconciled them he writes, quote, he has not reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So what Paul is referring to is in the future, that final day. Since Christ reconciled man to God, they will be presented by Christ holy and blameless and above reproach before him. But don't forget verse 23. There Paul tells the church what they must do since they had been reconciled to Christ. Since Christ will present them on that final day. The Colossians had not arrived yet. They had not been perfected yet. But Paul reminds them that they must continue in the gospel. They must continue to be faithful because they have been reconciled. Christ is sovereign. But as we know from Scripture, he uses means. You see, in verse 28 and 29, Paul's reminding the church that his ministry is the primary means. Remember, the primary means that God promises to bless for the growth and perfection of his people is the faithful proclamation of the word. We see this in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Ephesians 2, 17. Paul says, Christ preached peace to you when he preached peace to them. So how will the church continue in the gospel? By grace. But how do they receive the grace that they need? The Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit works through the faithful preaching of the word. This was the purpose of Paul and Epaphras' proclamation. This is the purpose of every faithful proclamation, every warning, all the teaching, all the learning, all the application, as it is all related to Christ. It's all for the purpose of presenting the church mature in Christ on that final day. We may not see physically, materially, the Spirit's work even now, and yet His work is free and is sovereign. And Christ is really present now, preaching to you. 
The word mature here involves spiritual growth now. But the word emphasizes perfection or completion. And so we know from Scripture that this does not happen now. So this maturity in Christ refers to that final day when every believer will be presented before the judgment seat of Christ, as verse 22 says, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see, this is the purpose that's constantly upon the heart and mind of your pastor. That one day, you will be presented perfect in Christ alone. You see, this is why the preaching ministry is so critical. And the Lord's Day is so vital. Because on this day, you are being prepared for that final day. But are you taking this proclamation seriously? Are you paying close attention to understanding and applying this ministry of the word? Every Lord's Day, if you're in Christ, you are being prepared for glory. And I encourage you to consider how it is for this very purpose that you are present right now. Now, I think there are two hindrances. I think one of the biggest hindrances to understanding this is that the person in the pew thinks too much of the man in the pulpit. Too much attention is given to the man, to his style or to his voice or to his experience and other things. But really the attention should be given solely to Christ. I think the second greatest hindrance is that the person in the pew often has a wrong theology of preaching. Rather than focus on our preferences in preaching, we should seriously consider God's prescription for preaching. When we carefully examine the scriptures, we can learn what preaching is and what is happening in preaching. And when we understand these things, our preferences become not so important. And we can begin to practice in light of this as we come to sit under that preached word whether it be an exposition of a text, whether it be an exposition of a chapter or a book, whether it be a doctrinal sermon or a catechetical sermon, whether the outline is announced or not, whether he is a young preacher or an old preacher, whether he is more or less gifted in doctrine or exhortation. When you have a right theology of preaching, you can come to each sermon and receive it as what it really is. And what is it? The word of Christ to you. We need to understand what preaching is before we understand what preaching looks like. And often throughout the modern church today, that's backwards. We try to understand what preaching is by what it looks like. But when we know what preaching is, we can learn what preaching does, and then we know what our responsibility is during preaching. And then if you think about it, preaching is really a microcosm of the Christian life. You may think, well, I'm not moving, I'm just sitting. But remember what preaching is. It's the word of Christ. And in preaching, we are called to what? To receive and believe the word of Christ. 
faith in Christ. Do you see who the main figure in all this is? It's Jesus Christ. It's not the preacher. It's not the minister. It's Christ alone. And so when you come to worship God through Christ by the help of his spirit, you are being prepared for that final day. And this ought to realign your perspective on your pastor's ministry. It ought to realign your perspective on the Lord's day. Because under his ministry and on this day, you are being prepared for glory. As you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and receive that word of Christ, you are being prepared for glory. Now, you might say, well, I come here tired from a long week. I come here weary from pressing on toward the goal. I come here discouraged from the troubles in this world. I come here and you're telling me to receive and believe the word of Christ, and yet when I look at my faith, my faith is so weak, my faith is so small. Listen to how Paul concludes. It's because of this emphasis on Christ that Paul concludes with the power of this proclamation. Paul writes, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. You see, Paul is not depending on Paul. Paul is not relying on himself for any success in the ministry. He knows that this proclamation is the hardest work in the world. This is why he writes, for this I toil. And the word toil here is an intense word. It means to work hard to the point of exhaustion. It's the kind of effort that is given to the point of feeling fatigue. The imagery behind This word is that of being given a blow or a strike and usually involved trouble and and suffering. Within this context, we cannot help but think of the pressures of false teaching that weighed upon his heart as that was confronting the church and how it weighed upon his soul. And this is why one writer said, the proclamation of the gospel in the midst of the worst adversities is really a dramatic battle. We don't see it with our eyes, but a battle is going on even now. But Paul and Epaphras were committed men. They were unwavering in taking these pains, why? For the perfection of the church. They were not hard at work for self-glory. They were not hard at work for power or prestige. They engaged in strenuous labor, both in word and deed, for the sake of the maturity of the saints. But Paul adds another word to describe his experience in the ministry. He writes, struggling. The word struggling refers to fighting. The emphasis is on competitive effort. One writer said, as in an athletic contest or warfare. You see, preachers are fighters. Preachers are warriors. They stand at the front lines, but why? For the church. This struggling was a fight both in the ministry of the word and in prayer. This is what every faithful minister is constantly engaged in, working hard to the point of exhaustion in the face of trouble and suffering and exerting aggressive effort. But why was Paul struggling? He was struggling for the maturity of the church in Christ. 
You see, Paul and Epaphras were working hard at this proclamation so that the Colossians would continue, would continue in the gospel, persist in it, and look only to Jesus Christ. Pastor Ryan does the same. He has given up his life for you so that you won't lose heart, so that you won't give up, so that you won't shift, so that you won't lose your stability, so that you would say no to sin and yes to righteousness, so that even as you are tested and tempted and tired, you would not stop holding fast to Christ. Your pastor struggles for you. And he set an example for you. You see, you are called to follow him as he follows Christ. Turn back a few pages to Philippians 3.17. Paul tells the church in Philippi, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And earlier in verse 12, he said, not that I have already obtained this, not that I've already been made perfect, but I press on. You see, Paul wants the church to press on with him. So Pastor Ryan wants you to press on with him looking to Christ. Not that he has already attained this, not that he has already been made perfect, but press on with him. You see, as my mentor pointed out, Pastor Chuck Rennie said, the end for which your pastor labors should be the end for which you labor. The fervency with which your pastor is called to labor for your soul is the same fervency with which you ought to labor for your own soul. The way your pastor labors in preaching the word should be the way you labor in hearing it and receiving it with faith. You ought to be asking God to give you grace to come with humility, to come with self-examination, but to come looking to Christ and receiving not merely his words as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of Christ to you. So you see, in this way, it can be said that just as the pastor labors in the strength that God provides, in the same way, the Christian, in the same way you Labor in the strength that God provides you. You see, if you asked your pastor, how in the world do you do it? How do you continue in this warfare? How do you remain in this contest? He would respond with the Apostle Paul. He says, with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This could be literally translated on the basis of his, that is Christ's, working, which is working in me in power. Simply put, Paul's toilsome struggling was not rooted in his own ability, but it was Christ's power alone. This means Paul's energy for the ministry was Christ's energy. Paul's working was Christ's power. It was Christ's power at work when he would proclaim him. It was Christ's power at work when he gave warning. It was Christ's power at work when he gave instruction and application. It was Christ's power at work as he laid down his life 
so that the church would be presented mature in Christ. It's all Christ's power. But this was not some special power from Christ that was only given to Paul, nor was this some independent contribution on Paul's part, somehow working together with the help of Christ. This was all grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What was the power of Paul's ministry? It was all Christ's energy. So you see, your pastor does not work from the basis of his own physical energy. His work is the product of Christ's power alone. Your pastor does not agonize in prayer for you because he had a good night's sleep. It's the result of Christ's power alone. Your pastor does not prepare and proclaim the word because he has a high IQ or has a degree. It's because of Christ's power alone. No human energies have the power to present you mature in Christ. An unbeliever, no human energies can save you from your sin. It is only the power of Christ. This is why the focus of this proclamation, the form of this proclamation, the purpose of it, it is all the consequence of what? Christ's power alone. So why be encouraged? by this proclamation because the focus of it is Christ. The form concerns your relationship to Christ. The purpose of it is so that you would be presented to Christ and it all takes place by the sovereign power of Christ. So let me ask you again, what has God provided you so that you would be encouraged until you're finally perfected on that final day? Be encouraged by this proclamation. My brothers and sisters, with every Lord's Day, with every sermon, if you're in Christ, you are being prepared for glory. And why is that? Because the same way your faith came, is the same way your faith grows. So be encouraged by the word of Christ. Be encouraged by this proclamation. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do cry out, put false ways from us, and graciously teach us your law. We have chosen the way of faithfulness. You set your rules before us. We cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let us not be put to shame. We desire to run in the way of your commandments. When you enlarge our heart, would you enlarge our heart for Christ? Would you enlarge?